Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Despite the fact that we live in what's known as a connected world, you probably know many people are incredibly lonely. Yet Jesus doesn't want us to be lonely. Jesus wants us to be connected to Him in the Bible and to one another in His family. This will take effort on our part and may even be challenging at times, but as we see the world through the eyes of Jesus, it will be worth the effort for us and help eliminate or at least decrease our loneliness. In Genesis 15, we see Abraham and Sarah fighting loneliness in their hearts. Let's join Pastor Jim in part one of his message, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? Our Father loves to gather with his children. Like any father loves to gather with his children or should want to gather with his children, people don't understand that the Lord loves to be with his people. He loves to see his people being together. And so as we said, Jesus is very sociable. And Abraham opens up his tent, his home, opens up his heart and the Lord is more than willing. He says, will you, will you stay with me? And will you be with me, Lord? And the Lord says, hey, I'm in, bro. I'm here, man. And, and, and the Lord is more than willing to be with him. You know, there's a verse that we repeat a lot. And I think that we've just portrayed it. it and this is the risen Christ speaking. And he says this, Revelations 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's really what this means. Like Jesus wants to come in to be with us. And so the question, the soul searching question becomes, will we let him in? And let me, let me even make it more personal. Will you let him in? Will I let him in? Is Jesus, again, I know this is a soul-searching question, is Jesus a welcomed guest in your heart? Or is it only when you want things from him? And not maybe when he wants to talk to you about serious things. Verse 6 says, so Abraham hurried. I love Abraham's sense of urgency. I think that's one time... One thing that, you know, with our Christian jargon and our Christian lingo, we, we, we lack sometimes a sense of urgency. You know, people are like, well, hey, what about that, man? Are you doing that? I'm just waiting on the Lord. You know? What about that? Are you, are you, you know, doing what you're supposed to do? Oh, I'm praying about it. You know, it's like, what, what? waiting on the Lord is what? It's what we're doing when we're waiting to do what God has promised. It's not procrastinating on everything. Now, there's some things we legitimately are going to have to wait on, but a lot of other things we're not going to have to. So Abraham hurried uh, into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, that would be flour, uh, knead it and make cakes or make bread. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good or choice calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. What happened to a morsel of food? (laughs) This is like a feast he's making. I guess he's going to get Jesus and the angels so tired, they'll be like, oh, I can't move. I'll stay here longer, right? But no, this is a full-on meal. So he took butter, verse 8, so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. So what's Abraham doing? He's serving them. 
and he stood by them under the, ter- under the tree as they ate. So they're eating, and what's Abraham doing? He's watching. He's watching them eat. He is the servant. He is the waiter. This is typical hospitality in this part of the world. Some of you, maybe you've experienced this from, from people who come from this part of the world. They, they invite you over for a snack, and they stuff you like a Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> then you go home, and it's like, your wife's like, I cooked a good dinner, and you're like, no way, can't do it, can't do it. Years ago, many years ago, I, I had a friend at Calvary Chapel, Oldbridge, and uh, he was known as Brother Andrew. And uh, he just called everybody Brother Andrew. He always called me Brother Jim, and he was Brother Andrew. And he was from Egypt. And sometimes, uh, he lived by the church. We lived a little distance away. And sometimes I would pick him up, and we would go for Wednesday night communion together. They had communion on the first Wednesday night uh, of the month. And so I would pick up Brother Andrew. He couldn't drive. He was an elderly man. And so we would go to communion together. And, And then I would go to drop him off. What an event that always was. Now, here we have, it's, it's after nine o'clock. He would, you know, like to hang out and talk, and you know, he was retired. I, I used to get up at f- between four and five back then, still get up a little bit later than that, not much right now, but just, you know, you learn habits, and that's what you do. But, uh, and so, we'd pull up, and I would know, here it comes. I'd even be sometimes like, why do I pull up to the curb? Why do I waste my time pulling up to the curb? He's not going to let me just go drop him off. And he'd go, Brother Jim, Brother Jim, come in for a snack. Come in for a morsel, right? <laughs> and, and I would be like, oh my goodness. And there would be so much food. Like as soon as I would finish one thing, he'd bring out more. And he'd bring out more. And he'd bring out more. And I was much younger then, and I could eat a lot more then. And I would be there eating with him for hours, Poor Pam thought I was dead. She was like, where in the world is, is my husband? And um, I would fast on Thursdays because I would be so full from eating and I'd have to get up in a couple hours. And Brother Andrew seemed like a humble man to me, but he, it seemed to me that he saved the best food for his company and he would not eat. He would just watch me eat. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's nice. He was a lonely old man, and and you kept him company. And that is indeed possible. But it's easy to see how Abraham, after all these years and all the traveling that he had done to get to the point where he was, even though we know that he had three or four or 500 men working for him and then And then he had their families and stuff like that. He was surrounded by people. But Abraham was the leader. And Abraham experienced, as any leader has experienced, if if you're a leader in in a church or if you're a leader in your business or you're the boss or something like that, you know that being the leader can be very lonely. Even though you are surrounded by people. Because you know, as soon as you leave the room, they start telling lies about you. <laughs> That's just the, way, it's just the way people, well, at least in America, are. Or they start pointing out everything that's wrong. See, Abraham had left his home, remember, 
He went to Ur the Chaldeans, he's from Ur the Chaldeans, and then he went to Haran, and then he's now he's up in Canaan. Very long, long journey. He left his home to come to a strange land. So he left all his friends. On the way, his father died. We already covered that his nephew Lot is now living over by Sodom, which we'll get into next half of the chapter. And perhaps he's lonely, and so God comes to be with him. And maybe, maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're used to being lonely or you've experienced a lot of loneliness in your life and this year has put loneliness on steroids for you. This year has been so incredibly lonely for you. You couple that with what we refer to around here sometimes as the age of distraction that you can spend your whole life looking at your little God, you know, your cell phone. And you realize that hours have just frittered away or the whole day has just frittered away. And so loneliness is probably not just some of you right now. It's probably most of you right now. And you can be lonely when you are surrounded by a lot of people. That doesn't have anything to do with it. As a follower of Jesus, I I think it's really important to remember If church is going to work, you have to remember that you have each other. You just really do. You have to remember that. But here's the thing. And this is I know this is a challenge for a lot of you. But but many of you won't pick up the phone to call someone. They say phone calls are coming back in. How about that? Like, you have to teach young people. You know, we used to actually pick it up and it's a cell phone. You know what a phone does? It calls, right? So, but actually, phone calls are coming back. And I have a list of so many people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. If I, if I call everybody all the time, that's all I will do with my life. And, and I won't, still won't even get to everybody. And so, usually, I'm the crisis guy. There's a crisis, I call. There's no crisis, I'm hoping that you're not in a crisis. Or I find out the hard way that you were in a crisis, but you didn't, you didn't let me know or what, let, you know, let, let us know here at the church. But, but one of the cures for loneliness is for you guys. That's why we do community groups, and you should try to get into one in the new year if you're not in one. We, we or service teams, that we, that we connect with each other to help with a variety of things. Normally we would say it's to grow in our faith or to sharpen us, but now it's also to help battle the loneliness monster, which is actually pulling a lot of people away from the faith. But if you haven't been challenged enough, it gets worse. While I said some of you won't pick up the phone to call, and if you think nobody wants to hear from you, you're probably wrong. Here's the bigger challenge a lot of people won't pick up the phone when somebody else calls. You keep dumping people into voicemail. And you wonder why after time, after time, after time, they stop calling. Because they start to think, maybe you don't want to hear from them. But if we're going to battle loneliness, these are the things that we're going to have to do. 
So maybe you have a vision for your life right now of not being so lonely. Change the vision. Change the vision to picturing yourself picking up the phone and calling someone. Put it on a to-do list and don't rest until it's done. And if it's it, and don't just say, well, I didn't get to my finish my to-do list today. Put it on another list. Make your to-don't list bigger and narrow your to-do list to a, to a few things that are going to help you grow and stay in the game in your faith. Now, some of you might want to push back on me and say, well, listen, if Jesus would visit me like he visited Abraham, it would be different. Loved ones, I think I will disagree with you on Abraham's behalf today. I think he would strongly disagree with that statement. That, that if it was like he had it, it would be different. I think he would say to us, do you know how few and far between those visits were? But if Abraham would say to us, but if I had a Bible, remember, we're only on page 13. There's no Bible for Abraham. I think he would say, if I had a, if I had a Bible, I would visit with the Lord every day. I would visit with Jesus every day. I would want to experience his presence and his love and his friendship and his honesty. I would want to experience that every day by meeting with him in the pages of the Bible. That's where we meet the Lord, in the pages of the Bible. Friends, with a completed Bible... We can hear from God every day. We can, we can hear God say stuff and we can say, oh, Lord, my heart aches for this. My heart aches for this. And we can confide in him daily and pray daily and experience him each and every week as, as, as God walks among us, as Jesus walks among us, as God's people gather together. Yes, it's challenged now, but there's no reason why we can't experience that. And I think Abraham would say, I think you have so much more than you realize that you do have. In verse 9, being a good friend, the Lord rocks the boat and challenges their friendship and ours as well. He says, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Hmm, how did they know her name? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, this is the Lord speaking, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And some of your verses make it a little easier to understand about this time next year. And behold, remember, behold, something special is coming. Here it comes, drum roll, please. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So when I come back next year, there'll be a boy. Then we get a little, the narrator tells us something. Sarah was listening in the tent or at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Who's him? Now, him would be the special visitor. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, or she laughed to herself. It's, it's, she can't, it's a, 
you know how you do that. Saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure or shall I have this pleasure or delight? My Lord, my master, some say, that's what she called Abraham, Lord or master, being old also. Now, now many of you know this. I've been trying for years to get Pam to call me Lord or master. She always says no, to which I said, Sarah called Abraham Lord and master, to which she not so lovingly says to me, you're no Abraham. <laughs> and, I, and I hold my tongue because I've read James chapter 3. <laughs> and I say, yes, you're right. I don't tell people you're my sister and not my wife and you're free up for grabs. So no, but, but that's just expressions for the day. Verse 13, and the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Some of you have say, why did she laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Now, she laughs to herself, and the Lord knows her heart. Yeah. Really good if good stuff's going on in your heart, isn't it? How about if bad stuff's going in your heart? Ooh, not so good. Not so good. Uh, by the way, this side note, this is one of the really great reasons I like reading the Bible is God shows you a lot of the stuff that's in your heart, and it's a great moment to stop and talk to him about it. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, man, that's there. Get, please help me get rid of that. So lunch is over. It's time to chat. Abraham says, Lord, this was great. Oh, it's great. We'd love to have you come back again. The Lord says, Abraham, sure, sure. Don't you remember chapter 17? Once again, I gave you again that promise of a son. I'll come back in a year to see your baby. You'll have a baby then, a son. Sarah's eavesdropping. Why is she doing that? She's eavesdropping and, and she laughs at the idea. Why does she laugh? Why does she laugh? We're not told. I mean, was she surprised? Maybe. Well, you know, the promise was so big in chapter 17. I wonder, is it possible Abraham didn't tell her what God told her? Men, listen up. Married men, listen up. Women, married women, cover your ears. Married men, listen up. I know many men who lie to their wives. I know many men who tell half-truths to their lives or omit key facts to their wives that is sinful. Now let's think of something else. Perhaps he didn't tell her because he chickened out. Or if we give him the benefit of the doubt, perhaps he thought it was too, might be too painful for her. After waiting so long and having so much disappointment, perhaps he was well-intentioned saying, I cannot put her through this pain and disappointment any longer. Maybe Abraham was beginning to doubt it. Maybe Abraham did tell her. And, and she had become what we refer to sometimes as an unbelieving believer. She says, I believe in God, but she really doesn't believe what God says. 
or she was a reluctant believer. I don't know if that's possible. Or she had just become a flat-out doubter. And so what do we do with all this? We put it together and we remember that if we're not careful, that pain and tremendous disappointment and the hard realities of life, if we're not careful, can really mess with our heads and can really mess up our faith. Yet, graciously, the the Lord is saying to Sarah, I realize that you're disappointed. I realize that you're hurt. But I'm asking you right now to fix your hope upon me. Now, did you know that is a very, very big part of faith? I realize that we all try to guard and protect our hearts because we don't want to be hurt again. Uh, That's what we do as human beings. It's a natural reaction. But the Lord will come along and he will challenge your relationship with him, your friendship with him, and say to you, I'm asking you for your faith and your trust. I'm asking you to lean upon me in this very, very difficult time in your life. Now, I want to read something to you. You've heard it before. If you were here a few years back, we covered it in Matthew chapter 11, or the words might sound familiar to you, but I purposely didn't give it to the sound guys because I don't, I don't want it up on the screen. I don't want you to read it. I want you to hear it. You know, we, sometimes we use some catchphrases around here. We, we don't want to read the Bible. We want the Bible to read us. We don't necessarily want to read the Bible. We want to hear God's voice. So just relax a minute. Can you relax? How many of you just can't relax anymore at all? You just can't. You try. You can't. Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Listen to Jesus. Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus says, are you weary? Are you burdened? Is life crushing you? Is sin crushing you? Come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. What is he saying? You come to me and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you. If you know anything about animals, a, a, a yoke, you put yoke two animals together. What is he saying? I, you know, they, that's how they plow in the field. He says, I want you to join yourself to me. Take my yoke upon you. Join your life to me and learn from me or learn about me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not incessant busyness, you'll find rest. In other words, you'll find refuge for your tired, busy, weary, burdened heart. For my yoke is easy, he says, and my burden is light. What is he saying? You're not going to have to carry the whole world on your shoulders. 
because I am going to be there. I'm going to help you carry it because we're yoked together. And when you fall down, I'm going to pick you up. And if I have to put you on my back and carry the whole thing myself, I'm going to do it. And so here with this doubting couple, Abraham's like, oh gosh, Sarah heard what he said. Sarah's laughing. This is, this is not going to happen. In verse 14, the Lord comes to, the, with, to all of us with a question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? One more time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Right now, in this moment in your life, do, do you, how do you feel about that? Don't answer it yet. Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? Again, about this time next year, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.